This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership, visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Okay, everybody expects us to have an anime podcast. Michael Peters, Justin Charity, at long last, are they podcasting once again about anime? No. I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Micah Peters. Honestly, this podcast might turn out to be like the Eddie Murphy, Martin Lawrence movie Life, except neither of us is in prison. And in fact, we're not even taping in the same location. But we will be talking a lot about the millennial life. You know, music, video games, strange stuff from the dark corners of the internet that piques our interest. People think this is going to be, oh, a little topic A, oh, what's topic B, oh, a little, you know, chit-chat. No. Every time you tune into this podcast, we are going to lock you into a room for 45 minutes, and we are going to do criticism. We are going to get to the bottom of every Scooby-Doo mystery that the discourse produces for us each week. Mark my words. Man, that was, that was a lot. But anyway, we are excited about it. We are excited. We're excited. We're super excited. I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Micah Peters. And this is Sound Only. We're back on August 11th. Catch us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ringer FC. I'm Misa Konga. I'm Ryan Hunt. Ryan, how are you doing? Chipper. Thanks, Musa. How are you? I am very good. Good vibes as always. Very Does happy anyone indeed. say Chipper who is under the age of 60? Well. Just me. Big boomer energy. Hello. Is that black coffee in there? It is black coffee, yeah. Oh, wow. I've got black coffee here. I feel black coffee slightly overrated, but. Oh, yeah. You, you came out with this take the other week. What was this about? What prompted this? In fact, it was, wasn't it after we went for a coffee? I felt like that was a subtweet. It wasn't. If it was, listen, I always tweet, if I'm attacking, I always tweet you. No, you don't. You don't. That's true, actually. But on this occasion, <laughs> on this occasion, it was not attack on you. I was meant to be up late working and I drank a lot of black coffee 
and it wasn't working and I kept passing out. And then people got really offended. Oh, I don't agree with this take. Musa, uh, you're cancelled. And I'm like, listen, not everyone has to agree on everything. That is correct. Everyone's like, oh my God, Musa, oh no. Everyone's like, they're disappointed, like, like a false prophet. I'm like, hey, hang on a minute. What's this about? Oh, well. Yeah, I mean, I do think black coffee is a bit overrated, but it's okay. Like, so I think you're a bit overrated, but let's move on. By whom? By whom? My own mother. By my own family. <laughs> Aren't we all? We're all overrated by our own families. <laughs> it is hot in Berlin. Is it? I've not been outside for like basically a day and a half. Yikes. It's heating up, man. Much like TJ Warren. <laughs> yes. It's it heating up big time. The great TJ Warren of the pace, a shout out, doing a late MVP run. Dude, did you see he tied the all-time franchise record for points in a three-game stretch? Oh my goodness, he's on a three-game stretch. 119 points in three games, man. Bubble MVP. I'm pushing that narrative. Narrative, narrative. Let's move on to football. Let's do it, let's do it. Uh, do we have any admin, actually, before we go? Oh yeah, we've got a new piece up on the site from Jonathan Harding. Shouts to Jonathan Harding, by the way. It's his birthday today. Yes, many happy returns to the big man. We're rolling out a few pieces on the Stadio site, stadio.football, kind of relating to stuff that happened over the past season. So Jonathan's was first. He did an ode to gestures, which was really good, about um, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge and Dietmar Hopp being awarded the Gesture of the Year Award by Build in Germany, which was an absolute joke. But it's really good, stadio.football. Go check it out. There'll be a few more rolling out from various writers in the next week or two. And yeah, stadio.bandcamp.com if you want to buy the theme music. We're donating all the money. All the info is on there. And if you want to listen to the playlist of all the tunes we play out on every episode, newest at the top on Spotify, just search for Stadio Outros on Spotify and then you'll also find the Stadio Spotify page, which has got loads of different playlists in there if you want some music stuff to listen to. And that's about it. Okay, so today we were going to do a what if episode, just a what if episode. I didn't want to talk about Arsenal today because we talked about Arsenal quite a lot over the last few weeks. But in true Arsenal style, Raul Sanyei and Vinay heard that Stadio were planning a what if episode and decided to drop a statement announcing the redundancies of 55 staff members. Coming a few days after the joy that was the FA Cup final, the first trophy in the post-Arsene Wenger era, having come four months after the players agreed to a 12.5% pay cut on the provision or on the understanding that no staff members would lose their jobs because of it. And that pay cut has now been reduced to 7.5% because it was dependent on Europa League qualification. However, this is grim. I think Arsenal are the first Premier League club to announce any layoffs or redundancies or job losses because of Corona. It involves not just kind of office staff, but also head of recruitment, scouting. Brian McDermott is going. Francis Kajigal has gone, who was responsible for picking out people like Cesc Fabregas, Hector Bellerin, Gabriel Martinelli. Why do you release a guy like that? Well, because Arsenal are basically moving to this agent-led recruitment strategy, which you've seen already over the last 18 months with the increasing influence of Keir Jarabchin. It's why I think Pablo Mori came in. I think it's why David Luiz came in. And it's why Williams coming in. Um, he has a close relationship with Edu. I think he has a close relationship with Raul Sanyei. And this is another extension from the recruiting side that goes back to the days of Sven Mislintat when Sven Mislintat left because of a similar thing. The 
strategy was shifting more into the kind of contact-based recruitment, whereas obviously Sven was really into the analytics and heavy scouting. I like Sven. Yeah, I do as well. I do. I like that a lot. And this agent-led, contact-led, it's, it sounds terrible. Well, I mean, I, I mean, in terms, of, in terms yeah. of looking at it in this situation where Arsenal have announced 55 layoffs, they signed Cedric Suarez to a four-year deal whilst he was injured. They're offering Willian a three-year deal. I think Cedric is also under key interruption. The thing that comes back with all of this stuff is that loads of people just go, Meza Ozil's on X amount of money a week. Lazy. It is lazy, and it's nothing to do with Meza Ozil. It's nothing to do with the players, really, because the players don't offer themselves those deals. Also, this thing about players taking a pay cut, they don't need to take a pay cut because the pot from which they're being paid is so big. Well, especially when they have an owner of the football club who is one of the few people who have actually got substantially richer during the pandemic. Right. Like he was in the conversation with people like Jeff Bezos. He owns the Rams who handed out a contract to, I think, Jared Goff for like a hundred and something million just a couple of years. He's got the money. Like, And they're building a huge stadium. Yeah. And basically, we're speaking the obvious here. It's a really, really bad look. It comes at a really, really bad time for Arsenal. They've sapped all of that goodwill that was there after the FA Cup win. And apparently, I saw a thing that David Ornstein wrote for The Athletic and the players aren't happy about this at all. They're meant to be on holiday celebrating. This is literally like one of the best things happened to players in months, right? It's a bonding experience. The club actually in years. It's an amazing bonding experience. They beat brilliant teams. They ended the season beating, you know, and the, the clubs they beat coming back from the break wanted those victories. Mm. Liverpool wanted those 100 points. City wanted that cup, no matter what they say, because City ultimately have a very good chance of ending up without a trophy this season. They love trophies. They yeah, love trophies. It would be a disaster. So they beat every team, that, every big team that Arsenal beat since the return really wanted those victories, right? Yeah. And this is the crest of the wave. They should be, this should be all about Arsenal. The next few weeks should be wall-to-wall Arsenal. As Arsenal go into recruiting mode for elite players, this should just be goodwill city. And the fact that Arsenal, the fact that the people running the club did not have the tact, the awareness, the nous, or even the care. They didn't, they clearly didn't care. Like, mm. you know, can I be brutal here? Sometimes I get the impression there are people in these organizations who enjoy making quote unquote hard decisions. They mm. enjoy going against the grain and looking tough. Because yeah. this is a, like a tough, think, think about the context of redundancies. How many major clubs have announced this many redundancies within like a six week window? How many other clubs of Arsenal's size have announced? None. The right. First. So this is a statement. This, is, this isn't part of a general trend. This is a statement. This is a kind of like, I'm not saying it's a kind of like two fingers up. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's a kind of like, we're a club that makes hard choices. And we mm. do, this is what we do. We make hard choices. Like, I really feel there's an element of that in this. But the thing is, again, it's just the, the focus of it will go back to, oh, look how much the players are earning. Look how much the players are earning. And it's like, again, p- players are being thrust into this position where it's nothing to do with them. But we ought to break that down because who, who is that coming from? Because it comes from, you have maybe some people in the media saying it, but also it comes from regular people. And I get really annoyed about this, right? And the reason I get annoyed is because just today, there was a story broken in the UK by um, a brilliant lawyer called Jolyon Morn about alleged corruption. There's a story that basically £220 million 
has allegedly been shuttled towards the company of a government advisor, right? With no oversight. It looks like a huge case of alleged corruption. Okay. Mm. This is the same country, the UK, that gets really angry over people stealing, disabled people, in quote marks, stealing benefits. Mm. So this is a general cultural thing. It's a, it's a cultural thing. It's not specific to Britain, but it happens a lot in Britain where people look at people earning less money down the pyramid and people up the pyramid getting away with vast misuse of funds. Meza Erzl is now someone earning hundreds of thousands of pounds a week. Absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Meza Erzl wasn't always that person. Meza Erzl came from where he came from. He's from Gilsenkirchen. Right, exactly. You know, yeah. Turkish parents, Turkish immigrant parents. It's just like... Right. And if we're going to really... born into wealth. If we're going to do the outrage thing at Erzl, okay, let's apply that proportionate amount of rage further up the pyramid and be like, okay, if we're going to be this angry at this person, we need to be 10,000 times as angry as that person. Let's actually direct rage where... or anger where it deserves to go because it really tires me out, Ryan. We're so... It's childish. You know what it is? It's childish. We attack someone because they're close to us and we can see them. Oh, Ozil's earning a lot of money. He's stealing money from other people. No, he's an employee. He's an employee of a company that's paid all this money to all these people and it can afford, it can afford everyone. Mm. And it's a, sorry to like, I'm not articulate about this this morning because I'm just angry about it. And I don't get that. I'm not that articulate when I'm angry. But what infuriates me, Ryan, one of the big problems with the UK and more generally is this bizarre, weird, it's almost like, are we afraid to like criticize the owners of these clubs? Are we afraid to criticize billionaires who own these clubs? Are we secretly thinking that we might be that rich one day? So we're scared of like attacking the rich because we might be rich ourselves. Or are we just cowards? No, no, really. What it, what it is, is it cowardice? Because I see all these people, all these supporters going, oh, like that guy's overpaid. But like, actually there's someone with billions who we need to go after. Well, to, to, I think to be fair, a lot of people have gone after Cronky though. No, but it's not, no, but it's no. not enough. No, 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 Ryan. It's not, no, this is, it's cowardice because what else can it be? It's either cowardice or laziness. Meza Erzl is just another employee of a club which can afford all of these wages if it wanted mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't see how it goes any, I'm sorry to be a, a dick, but I don't see how it goes further than that. What's wrong with people, Ryan? It's an easy target. You know, Meza Erzl has been an easy target for ages. and. If people directed the amount of anger that was directed at Meza Erzl for kind of pretty much everything, at the people who put that contract on the table, there's a line in the statement that really caught my eye. And it says, it is now clear that we must reduce our costs further to ensure we are operating in a sustainable and responsible way and to enable us to continue to invest in the team. Now, if you look at Arsenal's recruitment over the last few years, Arsenal's wage bill is huge. It's £232 million at the moment. They need to cut the wage bill. Clearly, they need to cut the wage bill because they're laying off 55 people who don't need to be laid off. So where in this strategy over the last few years has anything looked sustainable or responsible? It's completely bullshit. And honestly, honestly, man, like we should wrap it up, I think, because it's going to make me super angry and we need to move on. Yeah, no, absolutely. Everyone at the top end of that football club should be absolutely disgusted and ashamed of themselves because it's grim. They need to fix the fuck up because this is going way too far now. If you are seriously considering paying Willian for three years, extending the contracts of David Luiz on the money that he's on, paying the kind of contracts you are paying to someone like Cedric Suarez, who I think is a pretty decent player, but... Are you telling me that there weren't more sustainable or responsible solutions within the football club from academy graduates? If costs are that tight, you look at Schalke, 
Schalke have been like, we're not going to be able to do this anymore. We cannot sustain this model. We have to look at a new strategy. If things are that bad at Arsenal, honestly, hand on heart, I would take four years of being nowhere near anything if the club were like, we're in a mess and we need to really, really seriously like have a fire sale and we need to restructure and run the club in a more sustainable and responsible way. I'd be fine with that because at least it showed that there was some kind of strategy and whilst it might be painful from a lack of success point of view, I would actually be, I think, more encouraged with that because it would show some actual realism. It's like, this is how it is. If we're going to actually compete in 10 years' time, we need to completely restructure right now. But instead, they're chucking money out left, right and centre to all of these players that are under the wing of one agent. Fuck off, man. And the worst thing is, yeah, you're right. You're completely right. It's so, it's such kind of transparent cronyism. And the worst thing about it is, and we'll, don't worry, well, it's the last thing I'll say on this because I know that it's, it's infuriating for me and I'm not even an Arsenal fan. It's enraging for me. It basically shows that if you suck up to the right 10 people in any like football club, the, well, in any big football club, the doors are open to you. That's the message this is sending because Gerard mm. Pichetton's been on this for a while and his interests are not aligned. No, his interests are his players' interests. Okay, I get that. They're not aligned with the long-term sustainability and holistic development of a football club. They're just not. Peter Epstein couldn't give two shits about Arsenal Football Club. Not at all. Not at all. Doesn't care. And to kind of, before any, like, you know, because someone said on Twitter that I wasn't, I didn't seem very happy after the FA Cup win the other day. And and I am an Arsenal fan. I just want to put it out there because probably people don't know. We mentioned it on Stadio before we came to the ringer, but like, my dad was at the club from 12 years old through the youth system. My relationship with that football club goes way back. Like, they've disappointed me as a fan massively many times like any football club will disappoint their fans at some point from a from a performance point of view but there's very few times that I've been actually like deeply deeply ashamed of them and yesterday was one of them when the statement came out I was just like nah I'm genuinely ashamed of that football club that sucks because there are obviously some amazing people involved in that that have nothing to do with the decisions at the very top level but the people at the top who have had no real relationship to Arsenal ever before and have come in very very late when Everything's been built. The success has been built. The history's been built. The stadium's been built. And honestly, man, they're doing their absolute best to just ruin it. It's just another example of that. So yeah, sorry absolutely. to be all negative, but like this isn't an Arsenal podcast, like I mentioned. So maybe if it was an Arsenal podcast, I would lean more into kind of my Arsenal fandom, but it's not. You have to be able to step back and be neutral on these situations because if this was Liverpool, if this was Manchester United, if this was Chelsea, I'd say exactly the same thing. Because exactly. Their yeah. behaviour is disgraceful. Agreed. Break. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, Get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. 
Ringer FC is brought to you by FanDuel. Put on your checkered pants and your most ridiculous shirt because fantasy golf season is in full swing. Think you have what it takes to beat Bill Simmons, Joe House, and the Ringer staff in a season-long fantasy golf tournament? Then enter the Fairway Roland Doe Leaderboard Series at FanDuel today. Here's the deal. Enter each contest across the PGA Championship, the Masters, the Tour Championship, and the U.S. Open. For each contest, you'll have a chance to win thousands in cash prizes. As the season goes on, we'll tally up your scores and put you on the series leaderboard. Finish at the top of the leaderboard and you'll win the inaugural Fairway Roland Doe Championship jacket, not to mention a lifetime of bragging rights. Listen to the Bill Simmons podcast and Fairway Roland podcast throughout the golf season to find out how you stack up against the competition and go to FanDuel to enter the Fairway Roland Doe leaderboard series. Age and location restrictions apply. Okay, we're back from the break. And it's what if time. It is indeed. Well, before we do the what ifs, actually, we were going to talk about the Bundesliga coming back because the Bundesliga have announced plans to bring fans back into the stadium. It needs to go through the federal states and the local health authorities first before it's fully signed off. So because we've got a what if episode today, maybe we'll bolt it onto the end of Monday's episode when we're going to be talking about the Champions League, which is back tomorrow. Oh, a bit of a name drop here. Oh, here we go. Dropping. Go on. Go on. If you listen to the adverts for the Bundesliga's return, you may hear a familiar we can't, voice. No, no. We can't <laughs> do that on here because they're not sponsoring the podcast. <laughs> no. Not paying this podcast to talk about this. So strike that from the record. Anyway, yeah, carry on. <laughs> All right. What ifs? God, look at this guy trying to squeeze in the marketing. <laughs> get your marketing out of here, fam. <laughs> All right, let's do some what ifs. I would like to start with one from Phil Adam Bushel. What if Harry Redknapp sold Gareth Bale to Birmingham City? Do Spurs and Birmingham swap places now? Does Bale go to Real Madrid? So for a little bit of context, there were some rumours in, I think it was 2009, that Spurs were listening to offers for Gareth Bale around £3 million from Birmingham, Nottingham Forest and Fulham. Subsequently, Harry Redknapp has come out and said that that was, obviously he would say, no way. And there was a quote from him in 2009 where he said, I'm not looking for a left back because you won't get a better one than Gareth Bale. This is when Gareth Bale was still playing left back. Right. So let's, in this imaginary context, this alternate universe. Oh my goodness. Gareth Bale signs as a left back for Birmingham City. Which year would that have been? 2009, 2010. See I, think, see, I think if that happens, if Gareth Bale signs for Birmingham City as a left-back, I think he stays as a left-back. Yep, I agree. I think the world, the entire world, never hears of Gareth Bale. I think it's that simple. Can I draw an example, a comparison, why I think that strongly? Cafu, if he hadn't met Tele Santana, would be a right midfielder we'd never heard of. Mm. We'd never, and you know, and, and Cafu himself said that he was like Tele Santana basically took me and I think it was actually I, inter- I interviewed um, the great Ray Oliveira about this and he said he said that's a guy who so many people owe their careers to and doesn't get enough credit at all Tele mm. Santana because he would see players who would otherwise be in obscurity and just pluck them and be like that's not who you are that's where you should go Roberto Carlos as well he was, a, he was someone who was in left midfield for a while and this is a big thing with fullbacks, actually. This is a big thing. Like players who attack from deep or players who are amazing in the final third, it's something about the flanks. 
and there's a certain type of coach's eye and no disrespect to Birmingham, I think they would have been a really good side. I think with him and the team might've stayed up a bit longer, might've gone a bit further in certain competitions, but he would just be a very good left back who might at some point have been bought by Premier League team, but would never have become Gareth Bale. Like no way. They're in the Premier League at the time because obviously they beat Arsenal in the right, um, yeah, in League the Cup League final that yeah, year. Yeah. Uh, 20, 2011, right? Um, same year that Arsenal beat Barcelona that was. Can you believe that? Here's a, here's a bit of a left field shout. If Bale goes to Birmingham City, I think he gets picked up in the end as a left back by a really good team. You think? I think so, yeah, I think someone like Liverpool might get him. Do you know why? Liverpool had a left back problem around the same time. Not a left back problem, but they kind of alternated a couple of left backs. They had, you know, they had a good, they had what I would call Paulo Ferreira fullbacks. They were like seven out of 10, very reliable, mm-hmm. would get you a goal every now and again. But I think that Bale would have been like a forerunner of what Andrew Robertson is now for Liverpool. I think he would have given an elite Premier League team fantastic width eventually. Because outstanding left backs are at, were actually in globally short supply at that time. So I think he would have found his way, but he wouldn't have been a, he would have been a very good left back in a very good Premier League team. Okay, so that summer when Gareth Bale went to Real Madrid, so he went for what, 100 odd million euros. Spurs bought in Eric Lamella, Roberto Soldado, Paulinho, Christian Eriksen, Etienne Capui, Vlad Chiriches, Nasser Chadley. But, that also means that probably Arsenal don't get Mesut Ozil. Ah, oh, because in the merry-go-round, he doesn't leave. Yeah. The, the variables are so fine and particular mm. that I don't think that Real win three in a row under Zidane. Like, that whole thing changes. Does Zidane even end up there? Uh, no. So if you think, because they, they won the decimer the first season that Bale was there. Yes. So do you think Bale is that key... I mean, actually, he scored the... Exactly. The, the, the go-ahead the goal. one, right? Yeah, yeah he scores the go-ahead goal. He's a rogue element like Di Maria. You take him out, everything changes. And I think Zidane does end up in charge of Real because that was what he was... That was the kind of algorithm. That was the path he was on. Like, the fact that he'd won a Champions League there as a player and he was in the background. Rail and because they change managers so often, it's it's where he would have got the job eventually. Like if Lopetegui can get the rail job, then Zidane can get it. Like if they're really going that far down the batting order, Zidane does get his chance. I just think that entire, you know, the, the transfer of Bale or the, you know, the development, the evolution of Gareth Bale is such a singular development. It changes the whole of elite football. You know how there's some players that come along and their career path basically defines a generation. I think Bale's mm. like that which is wild to think about, but I think he is that significant. I mean, you know what? One thing that doesn't happen, if, if, if Gareth Bale, the most important thing actually in this, Gareth Bale goes to Birmingham City, you never get Gattuso and Joe Jordan kicking off with each other on the sideline. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. One of the great moments when Joe Jordan showed he still had it. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Joe Jordan, perhaps a the only shirtless Gedero Gattuso kicking off with Joe Jordan. Joe Jordan's just like, you fucking want me? That's the best. That's a great. <laughs> that's probably actually the most epic standoff we've seen in a while. It was amazing. 
So there you go. Never mind. Never mind. Spurs not bringing in Christian Eriksen and any of this. Like you never get the the, the main thing from this is that you never get the Joe Jordan Gattuso kickoff. I don't think because I, I don't think I don't think Spurs even get to that position. Can I talk about this quickly? Actually, Bale's rise and fall is probably the most dramatic of any footballer of the modern era. If you look where Bale came from, and here's you know what it's actually like. Bale's rise. This is I'm really, really weird. So please bear with me. Bale's rise is as dramatic as the rise of Will Smith. <laughs> Where are we going? Because when Will Smith played in the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, <laughs> and you see, for, he's, you know, he's in the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, like he's a charming character that everyone loves in a small budget production. Okay, so that's Bale at maybe Southampton, right? Charming character in a beloved small budget production. At that point, who else in the world would say that Gareth Bale would be one day a Champions League winning forward for Real Madrid? Nobody but Gareth Bale. Same thing with Will Smith. You look at Will Smith when he was a fresh Prince of Bel-Air, who would have said he'll be the biggest box office star in Hollywood? Who would have said yes to that? Will Smith and basically his agent and no one else saw him coming, right? And then his drop-off is basically as dramatic as Steve Martin at the end of the 80s. Steve Martin, box office king, Gareth Bale, box office at Real Madrid. and now can't even hold the La Liga trophy because it doesn't feel that he's played a big enough part in the championship. And I think his rise and fall is the most dramatic story arc we've seen of any footballer in the modern era. Just because- It is incredible. It is, it's, it's, it's underrated. It's underrated how incredible it is. Like he came from left back to left, did he even play left wing? He didn't, he went straight to yeah, right No, left. no, no. He went left wing for Spurs. He, yeah, was he, left, just, he only played, he only started moving to the right when he went to Real Madrid because Ronaldo was on the left. But he migrated straight from left back up to left wing, then cut across. It's absolutely astonishing what Bale has done and the space of time he did it. Like he did it in a very short period of time. There was a period, that final season at Spurs and then the one where he moved to Real Madrid, where he looked like a, he looked like a, he looked like someone playing with kids a few years younger than him. Yes, yes, he did. Because he had this skill set that was just really, really weird. Like he was, he was built like a centre-back. Yeah. basically Gareth Bale at that point because he bulked up he wasn't the skinny kid who was playing left back anymore but he's still like 185 so what's that six foot it's huge yeah and, and change and change six one but was still completely rapid and scoring goals he was a really he was he was kind of like a um he was a British Cristiano Ronaldo yeah yeah that's not a bad shout bar Ronaldo there weren't really any players I could think of globally that had that build and skill set in that position. He was dangerous 40 yards, 40 yards from goal, there was danger. Oh mate, the Copa del Rey final goal against Barcelona when he just, poor, poor Mark Bartra. Do you know, yeah, he's still seeing that. Do you know what's- Still sliding. (laughs) Still sliding. Mark Bartra's still trying to get back onto the pitch. Can I say my favorite Gareth Bale moment, um, just on this and I'll tell the story quickly. Spurs playing Southampton, I think was his final season in the last minutes and he cuts in off the right flank and thrashes it into the corner for the game winner. Everyone's on Twitter afterwards going, what the hell was Luke Shaw thinking? What the hell was he thinking? That's just what he always does. He cuts him off the right and he shoots. Luke Shaw, bless him, goes on Twitter. Oh yeah, I remember that. And, yeah. Yeah, and he says, guys, I'm really, really sorry about that. I know it was bad. Um, the thing about that is, yeah, I know, you all know it's coming, but it's so quick and you can't stop it. You know it's coming, but you can't stop it. And mm. the response was like, fair play, because all of a sudden everyone's like, yeah, like, it's like what Robin does. It's what Mares does. You can't stop it. That's the whole point. 
the whole point of the Ronaldo step over. Everyone knew that Ronaldo would step over and go to his left. Yes, that's established fact. But look at that hilarious video of Marcel Desai and all the France defenders joking about it and going, Ronaldo does a step over, the ball is not there. You know it's coming, but you can't stop it. <laughs> Bale, wow. That's a great question. Thank you so much. I mean, we haven't actually drawn much of a conclusion from that though, really, apart from that maybe Spurs don't. I think it changes Spurs' trajectory quite significantly. Yeah. Because so much of what they built came out of that Gareth Bale sale. You know, maybe Poch doesn't go there because it's not such an attractive option. If you think before, well, who did Poch replace? Tim Sherwood. You know, but look at, look at how, how muddled Spurs were with Sherwood in charge despite having Lamella, Ericsson and all of these players that they brought in with the Gareth Bale money. So if you only have three million to play with, I mean, maybe Spurs, maybe Spurs, do you know what? Actually, thinking about this now, because we need to draw some wild conclusions from this. I don't think Spurs move stadium. I don't think they need to. Oh my God. This has has occurred to me. Bale's evolution is as pivotal to the direction of English football as Neymar's transfer is to the development of Spanish football. Yeah, I I think actually it doesn't shift the needle wildly for Real Madrid. Madrid long term I no. think they maybe don't get that decimal in 14 yeah well actually no it does affect them wildly I don't think they get the decimal in 2014 and I don't think they won three straight no they don't um, but I think they pick up one in that period um, I don't think Ronaldo leaves Real Madrid without a European Cup at least no hell no hell no and for Spurs I really wonder where they would actually be you know I could I, and this is a testament to how well Spurs handled that sale and the same with Modric the year before I think the process started with the Modric sale you know Spurs had that really great trajectory of just building really really cleverly over a decade but so much of it was wrapped up within the money that they got for the the Gareth Bale sale and then obviously moving with Pochettino this isn't a dig at Spurs by any means I don't think many Spurs fans would actually mind still being at the old White Hart Lane Mm. I wonder who's in charge at Spurs now yeah and it's not, and this is, this is how I think it's really interesting that how something so small, well, not so small, but something like one thing can really change the trajectory of a, of a club or, or a league even. You know, it, for example, it wouldn't be a massive surprise now if, you know, Spurs were in, like someone like Benitez was at Spurs, which wouldn't be a wild thing, or someone, but then you could go the other way and you could say someone like Steve Bruce. You can really see those two Ryan, no. parallels. Mourinho goes there. Mourinho goes there earlier. No, I disagree. Massively disagree. There's no, way, there's no way Mourinho goes there. Because Daniel Levy has always wanted Spurs to be... Well, I think we've said this before. I think we yep. said it when the podcast after Poch got fired. But Daniel Levy has always wanted Spurs to be a club that can attract someone like Jose Mourinho. Yes. But this is like 2004 Mourinho, 2000, 2004 to 2012 Mourinho maybe. Yes. But Spurs don't increase their trajectory to the level to meet Mourinho on his trajectory downwards. Okay, no, okay, excellent shout. No, you're right. You're completely you know, right. You're completely right. Um, like if you look at Spurs now, because of the stadium and the squad that Mourinho inherited and the job that Poch did, that's a, that's a completely different football club to a decade ago. Yeah, completely. That's right. that's right. And if you imagine if they, if they only get 3 million for Bale instead of 100, they can't bring any of those players in that had the transformative effect on that football club. Like Christian Eriksen did wonders for Spurs. You know, yeah, it kind of, it 
petered off towards the end. You know, you maybe don't get Vertonghen, you maybe don't get Alderweireld. The bail transfer changed everything for Spurs. So ultimately, I think Spurs have become way better off because of it. But I, I mean, I think it'd be, it'd Can be I say really interesting to see where they would have been without it. While we're still on this, do you know what's funny? I'm now thinking about this. Pochettino's Spurs are like O'Leary's Leeds. They added so much kind of like almost like iron to the diet of the Premier League and they strengthened teams. They basically battle tested so many incredible teams that went on to like do the biggest in Europe, right? Without Pochettino Spurs being this good, I don't think Liverpool get this good. They really don't because Klopp had to fight and find ways through Spurs. Same mm. with City. City wouldn't be this good without Pochettino Spurs. You look at United and Arsenal in the late 90s, Leeds were absolutely amazing and they pushed United and Arsenal to incredible heights, heights they wouldn't reach. They pushed us to the treble. We would not have got to the treble, mm-hmm. I think, without Leeds being so good. I don't think Arsenal would have been so good. It's no coincidence that my, my favourite Arsenal victory is the 4-1 at Elland Road because Leeds were the gold standard. Like, if you beat Leeds, well, you were an elite, an elite team. And it just saddens me a bit with Pochettino because I don't think you know, I see the jokes about no trophies. I don't like that stuff, to be honest, because actually there are teams that don't get their due. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Actually, there's a little time for a little plug. I just, uh, whilst we're recording, my latest piece went up on The Ringer and it's kind of deals with context of mm. success. Yeah. I, I did actually in the original thing include a bit about Spurs, but it kind of didn't relate to the rest of the piece. So I took it out, but how they were a great example of not winning trophies. Like Spurs haven't won a trophy since what, 2008? There's no way that, that the final five years of the 20 teens weren't successful. Right. You cannot say that they weren't successful just because they didn't win a trophy. There's just no way, I don't think. One of the best teams to watch that I've seen in if so yeah. And yeah. like year on year improvement. Yeah. Next one. All right, let's have one via email from Brendan Irvin, who said, What if after a text message dumping Diego Costa in 2017? Conte was able to sign Romelu Lukaku. How different might Conte and Lukaku's careers look now after Chelsea's campaign in 2017-18? And of course, the domino effect of strikers. Morata going to United seems more possible and might have worked out better than the fit at Chelsea. That is a great question. The thing is, Conte is such an amazing coach. He is amazing. Like, that's the thing. Just get Conte and give him what he wants every year. I really think it's a simple... He's like the reverse Mourinho. He goes in, takes the pieces, <laughs> he takes the pieces he has, improves them all, and then keeps asking for more. But mm. he's, he deserves more. Like he's one of the few coaches that maximizes both current and future pieces. I just think he's amazing. There's no other coach. Conte is basically like that guy who, you know, when you're at uni, there's always one person in your building who can go into a kitchen with any ingredients and put together an incredible meal, like a casserole. He's basically that guy who goes into any club and assembles anything. Like he's, he's actually underrated at that. And mm. I don't, I'm not quite sure why. Maybe it's because he hasn't won the Champions League as a manager. I don't know. But he's so obviously elite. Or I, th- I don't think it's that. I, don't think it's that. I think it's he's so obviously elite that we just get, we forget he's there. You know, in the same way that if you have to list the last 10 Premier League titles, you might miss out the Chelsea ones because they kind of just arrived like mm. out of, you know what I mean? He's just such an amazing coach. And so if he goes to, if he gets Lukaku at Chelsea, 
they're a top three team. Solid, I think. Because he just has that ability. Because if you get Lukaku, then it means you get other pieces to support him. If you're getting a player like, and this is my point, like if, if a player like Lukaku signs for a manager who really wants him and Lukaku would be the prime target that summer, then that's also the kind of player you get other pieces alongside. And those other pieces make Chelsea a top three team and they're just dangerous. They're just Yeah, because they finished fifth that year. I mean, they still won the FA Cup though in that second year. That's the thing. It's Conte. Like he just has that, he always gets you something. I do wonder whether Lukaku would have moved though after being burnt by Chelsea. Why not? It's Conte's different relationship. Yeah, but I think, but I think, I think, I think one of the key things that's worked in this relationship is the fact that they're both kind of out, out of it. And if you think when Conte went to Inter, Inter had years since the Mourinho have kind of been drifting. But Conte's a couch whisperer. He'll talk him into it. Like Romelu Lukaku strikes me as a guy who kind of knows what's up. Yeah. Very, very clever dude. I think you can see that through the loan moves that he made. Gutsy. The gutsiest yeah. loan moves, yeah. Like, I'm going to go and carry this West Brom side. I'm going to go and carry them, basically. I'm going to be the guy who's on loan from Chelsea and I'm going to basically just ball out. To be fair, he did the same at Everton. It's very Seydorf. Yeah. All of a sudden being the number nine for Manchester United. That's a hugely different environment to be in. The reason that this has worked so well so far for Inter, I think, for Conte and for Lukaku, is because Inter are a huge football club. Yeah. But they haven't had that recent immediate success. I think for him, you've seen more of the Lukaku who's like taking more responsibility because he's allowed to take more responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. Like his energy at Inter is completely different than it was at United. Yes. And I think he actually gets a hard time for his United career. Do you know who reminded me of? Giroud. Yeah, that's a great shout. When Giroud actually. went to Arsenal from Montpellier, Giroud was scoring a huge amount of headed goals. And when Lukaku went to United, there was no one that could really cross the ball as well as him. At one point, Lukaku was actually the best crosser of a ball at United. It was absolutely bizarre. So you're buying a player who isn't getting a key source of goals, but who then has the discipline to adapt his game and doesn't get credit for it. Mm-hmm. It's really frustrating seeing that. So, you know, I'm, I'm a big Lukaku fan. I'm biased towards him, but that was a real frustration for me. Watching how managers manage dressing rooms. And I was reading a lot about Sergio Ramos and his fallout with Real Madrid because of course the great E.K. Casillas who fell out with Mourinho retired recently. And if Mourinho hadn't gone to Real, I think Casillas stays there for at least a few more years. 100%. And just watching, the reason I mentioned this management thing and dressing room management, Sergio Ramos says something really fascinating. He said, at this point, it's not about tactics at this level of elite player. We don't need management so much. We need dressing room management. And mm. I went and watched that famous halftime team talk that Zidane gives, Champions League final against Juventus, uh, which you've probably seen, but it's amazing what Zidane does. For the first seven minutes of halftime, he leaves the dressing room empty. He just lets the players talk by themselves about what's going on in the game, what to do better. So for seven minutes, Zidane, he, so he walks in the very beginning of the, of the um, Champions League final um, halftime, walks in, looks around, then walks out. So everyone knows that he's present. Everyone just piles in. Everyone just starts talking among themselves. And then halfway through the halftime talk, Zidane, the halftime sort of period, Zidane walks into the dressing room, stands in the middle of the floor, looks down at the floor, and there's like a couple of like pieces of clothing on the Real Madrid club crest. Zidane shuffles them away with his foot, puts his hands in his pockets and his like, you know, smart suit, looks around and then goes, just two things. We're going to do this. 
We're going to push up a bit here. We're going to do this. He says, it's a final, guys. We're in a final. It's going to be hard. It's a final. We're going to suffer. We're also going to score. Let's go out there. Okay, let's go. Clap, clap. And they're gone. And I'm like, wow. Wow. Just what you're saying about Lukaku and Mourinho being like micromanaging and then Zidane just giving space. Because I've been trying to look at the genius Zidane. Like, what does it work? Why is he this great coach? And you see it then, the space that he gives players. He lets them come to their own conclusions. But then he walks in and the team talk that he gives is actually very similar to the things they've been discussing among themselves. It's like Ian Wright said about Arsene Wenger. Yes, yes. Even the dressing room quiet. And this is why I always think that if Wenger had gone somewhere like Real Madrid, I think he would have won. I think he would be held in a in a massively yes. different light. Well, it's because why I think he was yeah. he was tailor made for for a super club, Arsene Wenger. You've heard that when they that, that famous story when the, the UEFA club conferences when all the coaches are there and they mob yeah. him like he's a celebrity. Yeah, because he's 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 the, he's very like Yoda esque. He's adored. Um, well, that question made me all. I'm all I'm all emotional now. Oh, well, oh. let's take another break. Let's let you calm down. Sorry. And then we'll come Wenger. back. I love Wenger. Hey, Arsene, I know you're listening. I love you, Arsene. Come on, Stadio Arsene, please. Oh my goodness, imagine. I'll bring the wine. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, back from the break. You calm down now. No, not entirely, but I'm good. I'm okay. All right. It's manageable. Can you imagine if we get Arsene Wenger on Stadio? We need to think of some non-Arsenal people. Hashtag non-Arsenal podcast. Oh, by the way, great question that. Nice hypothetical. Strong hypothetical. Strong hypothetical, yeah. Strong hypothetical. <laughs> All right, let's have this one from Neve Dunphy. Shout out to Neve. Yeah, shout out to Neve. What if the current football climate in terms of constantly changing managers and intense media pressure had existed during Sir Alex Ferguson's first years at Manchester United? He would have stayed. You reckon? Yes. Neve, the only reason I think that Sir Alex Ferguson doesn't leave United is that when there was this massive clamour about sacking him at board level, there was never any doubt that he was the guy because there's a famous story, Bobby Charlton, they were talking about this in the boardroom. And I interviewed someone who told me this um, for my second book, Will You Manage About Ferguson and his incredible loyalty to players. Ferguson was doing all this amazing work with the youth and Charlton was like, I've been down to the cliff, United Old Training Ground. He said, mm. if you see what we've got coming through and if you see what Ferguson's doing with them, 
you'll understand that this guy should stay where he is. Like, just let this guy be. It's going to come good. And it was abs. It was apparently where the story is that from the boardroom level, there was just never any doubt that it was the thing. There's a lot of great Ferguson stories about that, about um, what he was like behind the scenes. It's kind of, I mean, you know, Ferguson's got his critics and for many reasons, rightly so, but Ferguson's man management, his aura behind the scenes was just something else. There's an amazing story about how Brian Gunn lost his, um, lost his child um, to cancer. Mm. And I think Gunn used to babysit. He used to like, he was, he, he was babysit Ferguson's, Ferguson's, one of Ferguson's kids at one point, like was really close with Ferguson's family. Ferguson, Aberdeen, we should Aberdeen. Say. Ferguson drove across the country, mm. got the limo across the country, goes to the funeral, is at the back of the funeral, doesn't say anything. And as soon as the funeral finishes, goes straight away again, just to be there. And that's, that's who Ferguson was. Like he, there's, there's a load of stories in football where Ferguson does stuff like that, just behind the scenes. And that's why he was so revered. Like, you know, he was one of the few managers that, I mean, with the exception of St. Mirren, you just don't sack. Mm. I think he was one of those few that you don't sack. And also, you know, they're not, they were not a second club at that time either. Don't no, uh, yeah, this is, I think this is it. And they hadn't had the success that he built. So maybe they would be judging it through a different lens. Anyone who'd seen what Ferguson did at Aberdeen, what, what Ferguson did at Aberdeen is arguably greater than what he did at United. Arguably. He smashed the old firm. I think it would have been interesting to see how much, because the board were, even though they didn't sack him, there's no doubt there would have been conversations had. Yes, there were, absolutely. And that would have been just purely on stuff that was at games and in the newspaper the following day, because then yes. it just went away. Like yeah. we said this before, like football stuff back then, it would just go away. Yes. If you had Twitter all the time and the amount of pressure that each, or the amount of outrage that each poor result would have got, I do wonder whether they would have buckled eventually. Right. The only reason I don't think they would have is only because United were not a second club at that time. And they really prided themselves on not being a second club. Yeah. And also nobody wanted to be the guy because like St. Mirren, they still talk about him, Ferguson being sacked by St. Mirren. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's the longest running joke and no one wants to be St. Mirren again. A generationally great coach sacked before his time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the only, but it's, that, that's an amazing question. Yeah. I mean, it's something, I mean, I'm just trying to think. I'm going to, I need to throw out a take. We need to throw out a wild take here. To, uh, I'm going to say that Bobby Robson ends up as Manchester United manager. There you go. There's my. Oh my uh, God, that's perfect. There's my wild take. They sack Ferguson. Bobby Robson comes in, wins everything, and uh, is basically at Man United win exactly the same, except Ferguson goes and uh, Ferguson ends up at Barcelona. And uh, <laughs> I'm being Bobby silly, Robson. But, Bobby Robson United is so perfect. Bobby Robson would have been a great Man United manager, perfect. I think, at that time. Post you know World funny? Cup as well. You know what's funny? Because then Gascoigne goes there. <gasps> Gascoigne goes yeah. and then and you Shearer get the, goes. And, Gascoigne yeah. goes and Shearer goes. Yeah. Two Geordies playing for Geordie at United. Mm-hmm. That's actually a thing, isn't it? Yeah, the 90s look very, very, well, could potentially the same, but potentially very different. Oh my God, Gascoigne and Shearer at United. That is yeah. incredible. That'd be fun, right? Dude, that's trophies. That's what we want. Oh my goodness. I think Ferguson would have been successful elsewhere. I think he would have landed somewhere and would have been Liverpool. transformative. No, not after being at United. No, no, if he'd never... Yeah, it's true, true, true. Because he'd been at United and he would have been sacked. Yeah, no, he probably true, would have true. ended up at Arsenal. That would have been terrifying. I mean, for everyone involved. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's have this one from Jack Smith. He said, hi guys, what if Celtic beat Jose Mourinho's Porto and Seville in 2003? 
Do Celtic become a more attractive prospect for players having won the UEFA Cup and awards for travelling fans and with the reputation Celtic Park has? Does anyone go in for Henrik Larsson and what kind of impact does a prime Larsson have at a super club? And, I love this, as is a Stadio what-if tradition, does this mean no Jose? <laughs> wow. For those who don't under, who, who don't recognise that, we have a tendency to stumble upon scenarios where Jose Mourinho just doesn't end up being the Jose we know and appreciate and love. Do you know what, Kay? First of all, Celtic are a super club. That's, that's, Celtic, that's really made me giggle that. I don't yeah, know why. That's so, Celtic are a super club, so his impact remains the same. I think if someone comes in for Larson, Larson will never know how many offers he got while he was at Celtic. And frankly, if you look at the fact that he scored in all these big matches, I find it mm. hard to believe that every major club at some point had not looked at him. Ferguson even says, I wish I'd bought, brought Larson in sooner. I think it, everyone asked him, but I think that he loved Glasgow so much as a town I think his family was so happy there that he just said no to everything mm. there's very few world very few players for whom a club like Barcelona at that point that Barcelona 2006 Barcelona which you know on its way to its first extraordinary series of trophies very few clubs of that caliber come in for players at that age that stage so Larson was I don't think that really changes I think if he wins the UEFA Cup, he's so happy to have won something that he, the next year he's like, let's go and try him in the Champions League next year. Maybe Celtic attract a couple of incredible players who've never quite got their due somewhere else. I would say one really brilliant young player and one brilliant player like, let's say, 28, 29, like a kind of like an Arshavin type quality player mm. who has seen Celtic win a UEFA Cup, thinks I might get a trophy there. I've never been fully appreciated. Larson goes, look, because Larson would have intrigued a lot of, let's not forget, Larson would have intrigued a lot of elite footballers. They'd have been like, how is that guy scoring 250 goals still at Glasgow? What's keeping mm. him there? So I think that after Celtic win the UEFA Cup, agents get in touch, talk and go, can we have a chat with Henrik? And Henrik goes, OMG, it's amazing. And after half an hour of the Larson chat, two or three other incredible players get on board and Celtic go surprisingly deep in the Champions League next year, maybe last 16. For Mourinho? He still becomes Mourinho. Where did we go with him when he I didn't think, win the Euro? When I think because he eventually gets there because he's just, his skill set is so good. I think he wins and, the Champions League next year anyway. Yeah, because this will leave him with a chip in his shoulder. Don't forget how late this is. This yeah. this game this game Nothing goes worse extra than time. An angry Mourinho. Yeah, he's going to go with so much bitterness. Oh my goodness! You know what happens? He might beat. He might beat some of those teams in normal time, or whether not, he might not need the offside decision. Mm. He just he goes away and becomes a killing machine with Porto. This could be the final catalyst for him. Can I throw out a take? Go for it. Mourinho ends up Celtic manager. Wins the Champions League with Celtic. Oh my god. <laughs> You know what's so funny? Frank he, Lampard, John Terry, Ashley Cole all come to Celtic. I'm being silly. Do you know it's funny that he'd do it out of spite? All of Mourinho's greatest victories have been achieved out of spite. All of them. Mm. This is why it would suit him so well to go to Celtic. I'm surprised actually he's not been to the old firm already. It would be the I'd final. Love, I would love to see him there one day. I would, would love to see Can you imagine firm. Mourinho versus Gerard in the old firm derby? <laughs> 
it would be the final heel turn of his career. Actually, because you know what? Here's the cult of personality to be perfect. Because it's the, he'd it's, end up he'd end up be basically like retiring in Scotland, yeah, and, and actually like staying there forever. You know, like when people just you know nice nice little house. Somewhere. Can I be honest with you as well? It'd be like the Inter thing. They'd lap it up. It's the Inter scenario, isn't it? They're a great club who haven't won in Europe for that time, breathing life into it, and it would be a place you'd hate to go. You'd hate to play an aging Mourinho in Celtic Park. And they'd beat someone like Juventus in the group stages and the cult of personality would just be unbearable. I have a quick question, just for yep. fun. Where do you think Jose Mourinho's next job is? Celtic. Sorry, you've got me thinking of it now. Do you know where I really think it is? Where? Newcastle. Oh my God. Do you not think it's just... That's it perfect. Just, it it's just perfect. reeks as the next... It's perfect. Yeah. It's scarily perfect. It's so telegraphed that if this was a movie the bad guys would be waiting there for him because they knew he was going to show up there. I can see Jose Mourinho's first press conference as Newcastle manager when Newcastle do get a takeover and they have loads of money and Mourinho joins and he sits there and he's just like, this is a big club. This is a huge, huge club. And then he starts talking about Bobby Robson because he loves Bobby Robson. You know, you can just, I can just see it. It's almost too perfect. Do you know what's terrifying about it? Mourinho's first press conference at Newcastle basically goes like this. He goes in there, he sits down and he says, it's a very happy day for me. I love the city of Newcastle. I love Mr. Robson. Still calls him Mr. Robson. Mm -hmm. Talks about him in the present tense as if he's still alive. And then he says, it's a happy day for me. I'm so happy. And I feel sometimes, I feel like I'm one of the Newcastle fans because sometimes in football, there are people who don't want me to be happy. And there are many people in football who don't want Newcastle to be happy. Oh, he'd straight away be in with that. They don't want Newcastle to have an owner that the fans love. They now have this owner. They have me as a manager. Hopefully one day the fans love me. But Newcastle, it's us together. The other people, we don't worry so much what they say. We're Newcastle. We're here to do big things. And they'd be like, okay, no questions. Sorry, that would be all. Josie's not taking questions. And he'd walk out. That'd be, be like two minutes in and out. I love Bobby. I love Newcastle. No one else wants good things for you but me. I'm out. That's his energy. Yeah. You can see it, can't you? You can see how he'd build it. So basically, because obviously Bobby Robson managed Porto, mm. Mourinho managed Porto. Yeah. But I reckon he would announce, basically, during the press conference, he'd be like, Mr. Robson finished his career at this football club. Yes. And this will be where I finish my career. And he'll announce that at like the very first press conference. Yes, he will. He absolutely, and everyone will be under the spell. Yeah. And it'll be the only place that he does like four years. Do you know what he'll do as well? He'll do loads of like amazing charity work behind the scenes. No publicity. Yeah. All of loads, a sudden, Mourinho loads, loads. completes the like the thawing process and everyone's like, oh my God, I actually love Mourinho. Yes. Now. That's yes. what happened. He would completely, he'd complete the redemption. And he'll build solidarity. He won't pick fights with immediate clubs. No. He'll, be like, he'll be like, this region, he said, it's not just about Newcastle, it's bigger than that. This region has been disrespected. And he'd say something like, because you know that some journo would ask a question like, oh, so you were the special one and then you were, you know, this one. And like, what are you now? And he'd just be like, I am the Geordie one or something like that. And everyone would be like, oh yeah. my God. Yeah, he'd be like, I'm here oh to- Oh my God. Yes. He's one of us. 
He's I'm here to serve guys. the people. I'm just the Geordie one. I'm the normal one. I'm here to serve the people of Newcastle. He'd go yeah. super, he'd go super humble. Oh my God. It's almost too perfect, it's, right? It's, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So if Mourinho ends up at Newcastle, it's our fault. He's football's biggest populist, isn't he? If a Newcastle-led consortium was backed by like Jorge Mendes. Yes. And they basically do to Newcastle what they did with Wolves, but with Mourinho front and centre. Do you know what's really scary about that? Weirdly, at a club like Newcastle, because we talk a lot about Mourinho's style of football being outdated, we also forget that he came second in the Premier League, right? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, so here's the thing. If you, if, if you gave Mourinho a load of money and wrote him off, and a load of young players who are desperate to play for him, I think he does something really quite interesting. I think he's got like a final shake in him. I don't think Spurs is it. And I reckon... Yeah, I agree. I think Newcastle is... Wow. I think maybe this... Actually, do you know what? The only thing that I would change that is if I think if he takes the Portugal job first. Good point. Good point. There could be an international thing out the way a little bit from club management and everyone's like, whoa, Mourinho's back in club management. Can I, can I tell you something? This is what scares me. If Mourinho goes to Portugal, he brings out Joao Felix's dark side. Oh, yeah. He's Palpatine. Because he, the thing with Joao Felix... He is Palpatine. <laughs> he is, he is. Joao Felix really enjoys hanging out with Diego Costa. Like a little... Too, like, it's too ja- good. So it's, Joao Felix at the moment is Ben Solo. There's something in his... There's something in Joao oh, Felix's soul. Oh, what are you saying? He's saying we... Rilo you, hang, on. <laughs> hang on a second. Let me let me just put the mask on. <laughs> Joe, I see you doing good things at Atletico. <laughs> However, to fully embrace your dark side, I feel you must move. Come join us on town side. Joe, you know what to do. Do you have the strength to do it? <laughs> Geordie Felix. Geordie Felix. Geordie Felix. Right, uh, let's get out of here. This is getting silly. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Thanks to everyone who, who sent in what if. Sorry we couldn't get to them all. We'll do another one soon as well because we're going to roll out some conceptual stuff when football takes a break. I hope everyone's staying safe and well. Look after each other. You can check us on Twitter at Stadio. Stadio Football on Instagram. Stadio.football is our website. We'll be putting some pieces up over the next week or two. I just had a new piece up on The Ringer. Check theringer.com forward slash soccer. Uh, we're playing out this week on Barbatuques. Track called Bayana. And it's the Wolf Muller remix. It's a bit of a bang at this. Turn it up. You got anything to say, Musa, before we get out of here? Keep the good vibes coming. And yeah, just take care of each other, really. All good. Much love, everyone. Oh, we haven't even said it was our birthday yesterday. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was our birthday. Stadio was a year old, August the 5th. Thanks to everyone who's been tuning in. It's been a vibe. Yeah, thank you. Oh, it's been, what a year. Good times, good times. Only been a year. To be honest, I have no, I have no space, I have no concept of time anymore. <laughs> <You've basically laughs> what day listened, is it? You've listened to like four years of my chat, to be honest, so there we go. The only reason I know what my name is at the moment is because I have to say it twice a week on this podcast. <laughs> Hello, Ian Wright. Hello, Ryan Hand. let's go take care everyone we'll be back on Monday take care take care
This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 